There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has been made free from the law of the sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnally mind, carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. <clears throat> so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Father, this morning we realize that the words just read are not merely words on a page and bound in a book. But they are alive, alive in us through your son, Jesus. It is written in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Lord Jesus, help us this morning to put away all the distractions of life in and around us so that we may be truly hear what you would speak to us through your spirit. Help us to hear with a humble heart and a teachable spirit. Lord, anoint Jackie this morning as he speaks your word to us so that we may leave here and bring glory to the Father through our walk with you, Lord Jesus. Amen. What a glorious day and opportunity we have to open up the word. We find ourselves in in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and as we as we look at what God has for us here it's kind of neat because in the first two verses he kind of um he gives us a a recap of where he's been. Last week, you know, our intention was to go through four verses and we made it through one. So I'm shooting bigger. We're going to see if we can if we can get through all nine. But when we look at, at Romans 8, verse 1, here's what we see. We see a declaration. Okay, he's making a declaration in verse 1. And in that declaration, he says, There is therefore now, not later, not once upon a time, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in light of everything that's gone before, this declaration is a declaration of justification. We've been talking about justification. As we lead up to the concept of justification, Romans 1, 2, and 3 have told us that we are all broken. We're born broken. We should not be shocked when we see someone who proclaims themselves to be a believer do something that we would imagine a believer would not do. It should not be shocking to us because we are broken. We do that. We are finding ourselves, according to John chapter 3, already under condemnation of God because we have devalued Him. We have hated Him. We don't love Him. The one thing that God is looking for from His creation is that we would love the Lord our God with all our hearts. We don't love God. We love a lot of things in His creation. We love a lot of His stuff. 
but we struggle with the idea of giving the proper value to God. To the, the one thing in all the universe that is most valuable, we value the least. And so we find ourselves under condemnation. But God could have just washed His hands. And He could have said, you know what, I, I, I give up on these, these people, these, these ones here before Me. But He doesn't. He has sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. He provided for us justification that if we believe, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the most valuable thing in all of the universe, that's who He is. We receive Him as that, and by faith He justifies us. There is therefore now no condemnation. He covers us. Underneath the covering of God, His justification. We've talked about this a number of times, but it's funny, I still hear people say the same kind of things. Oh, that guy told me he's a believer. I can't believe he would do such a thing. He must be lost. There's no way he could be saved and do that. Okay, let's go back to chapter 1. We are all broken. Now, we by faith receive the justification, which is the beginning of our salvation. He covers us with the blood of Jesus Christ so that when God sees us, we are just men, justified men and women made perfect in Christ. Underneath that covering, we're still living in the goop. We still mess up. But salvation doesn't stop just with justification. But it's important that we recognize here in verse 1, he told us not only is there no condemnation, which is the concept of justification being made just as if we'd never done it, but he defines who has it. Those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he defines for you and I, what does that look like? A lot of people want to argue whether or not this should be here. Just don't waste your time arguing. If you don't like it here, just hang on. It's in verse 4 and we're going to read it when we get there too. But he defines what being in Christ is. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The word for walk is peripateo. It means a manner of living. It means that we, we live after the Spirit. In fact, in verse 9, didn't we just read it? The Bible says that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, what's He say? You're not His. That's defining, right? So if we are in Christ, by faith, I put my trust in Him. He is the treasure. He is my Savior. He has done it all. I'm justified. There is now therefore no condemnation. From now to forever, God sees us. Clean. But then we come to verse 2 of Romans chapter 8, and he moves from the concept of the declaration of justification, which is where salvation has to begin. It's a work that Jesus Christ has done. It's finished. By faith we receive that gift. We put our faith and trust in Him. He moves from that to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free 
from the law of sin and death. Now, a lot of times when we read that phrase, the law, we think of something written down, like the Ten Commandments, or the 619 commandments in the Old Testament, or the 270-some commandments that Jesus gave us in the New Testament. But, but that's not what he's talking about. When he talks about law, the concept of law means the power, or the principle, or the impulse, or authority of our life. Remember, we, we talked about four different laws coming into the law of the Spirit of life. We have the law of sin. We have the law of the mind. We had the law of the Lord. We had all these things, all struggling for a place in our life. So when we come to, to verse 2, he's not making the declaration. The declaration happened in verse 1. In verse 2, he's talking about transformation. If you have been justified, you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there is now therefore in your life no condemnation, then... The truth of that is seen in this effect. He said, sin, sin works in a certain way with power and authority leading to death. That's called the law of sin and death. And he says, the Spirit of God works in a certain way with power and authority leading to life. That's a law, the law of the Spirit of life. So what's he laying out for us? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And you can put that in brackets and follow right behind that. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's defining it. You can take that down to verse 9 and say the Spirit being in someone is the guarantee that they belong to Christ and justification has taken place. Then the transformation begins. The transformation begins because the law of the Spirit of life has set me free. I'm being transformed into His image. It's not something I do. It's something Christ is doing in me. No longer am I trying to to change my life by external commands, but I'm seeing my life changed by the internal presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inside me. And by their power and authority working in me, He's transforming me. I don't stay the same person that I was. I'm changed. But it's not a change I do. If it was a change I do, then I'm justified by Christ and I'm changed by myself. And so I receive the glory because I should receive the glory because I'm changing myself. But that's not the case. The case is, Jesus Christ is in me, changing me through the Holy Spirit. So the changes that are wrought in my life are wrought because of Him. I'm justified by Jesus Christ by faith. I'm sanctified by Jesus Christ by faith. As His Holy Spirit is in me, working both to will and to do for His good pleasure. He's accomplishing within me His design, His plan, His His. Perfect work in my life. And so the second verse has given us... So we've talked about justification, no condemnation. Now we talk about transformation or sanctification, which is the idea that Christ is in me. The hope of glory. That He is working in me. That He is changing me from the inside out. Now these two things being true, that we are justified, so there's a covering over me so that God sees me, imputes to me something that's not mine, which is the righteousness of Christ. 
and sanctification, which is Christ in me, working in me through the Holy Spirit to transform me into His image, that I would become more and more like Christ, those things being true, shouldn't we anticipate or expect that in the life of a believer who's been justified by Christ and who is sanctified by the power of Christ and is in a process of continuing sanctification or being made holy more and more day by day, shouldn't we expect somewhere in there to be some kind of struggle or failure? Because that's what Romans 7 was all about. You guys remember? Romans chapter 7, the things I ought to do, I don't do. The things I know I should do, those I don't. I'm trying to to be the man that I'm supposed to be, but I continue to stumble and fall into the man I don't want to be anymore. So when we see someone who is a professing believer struggling, that shouldn't shock us. We're broken. What does the Scripture declare for us to do? Come alongside strengthen the weak knees and the feeble arms to come alongside in prayer and encouragement. In Hebrews, we're told not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Why is it the writer of Hebrews is telling us to come together as a body? Because he says, when you're there, you're to stir up. You're to stir up love and good works. You're to encourage one another today while it is still today to take the opportunity to strengthen one another. Now what happens traditionally in the church is we we find people taking pot shots at one another. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. It's a dangerous place to be in. And there's a reason why that's a dangerous place to be in. Because you may be placing your trust and your ability to be good. To be more righteous than another. It's called self-righteousness. And... It is not salvific. You're not saved by your self-righteousness. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work, His death, burial, and resurrection. You're saved by the fact that you believe He is who He said He is. And so when we come to Romans chapter 8, that great chapter that speaks of our security in our justification and sanctification, what He declares to us is all of that is accomplished the same way by the Holy Spirit that's working inside of us. And that's what He goes on to tell us about as we continue to work our way through the Scripture. We continue to work our way through what God has. Notice that every time we've seen the concept about being in Christ... When I am in Christ, listen, here's what the Word of God is declaring to me. I'm free from the penalty of sin. And I'm free from the power of sin in my life. If I'm in Christ, those two things are absolutely true. But pardon comes before power. Declaration happens before transformation. I'm justified, then I'm sanctified, both by faith in Jesus Christ. And that affects my life. Look at verse 3. Look at where verse 3 takes us. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now he's he gives us four 
things right off the gate that we can see here. I'm going to switch up the order on them a little bit to hopefully pull it out and help you to see it. But look, it says that God condemned sin in the flesh. It says that He did this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. It tells us that the law is not able to do this. And it tells us that the reason that the law is not able to do this is because of the weakness of our flesh. So let's take a look at that. Let's, let's pull that apart a little bit. God condemned sin in the flesh. Sin has been condemned. It doesn't mean that God sat up in heaven and said, sin's bad. That's not what's meant by God condemned it, or that sin had been condemned. He had condemned sin. What it means is that Jesus, in the flesh, in His suffering and dying on the cross... In that period, God executed a final sentence of condemnation on sin for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus, God has condemned sin through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That by His sacrifice, God Almighty condemn sin. He did what the law could not do. And he did it. How did he do it? He did it by sending his son. Please don't miss that. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means that Jesus had no sin within him. The second man on earth ever, the second human on earth without a sin nature. The first one was Adam. The second one was Christ. The scripture then declares to us as a result of that, Jesus Christ is the only human ever who did not deserve to die. When we look at that, we realize that he didn't die for his sin. Whose sin did he die for? He died for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In our relationship with Christ, we are declared righteous by God because Jesus took my sin. And was condemned as a sinner for my sin. There's no shortage of scripture that tells us that it was not his sin. That he came in the likeness. That word likeness is important, right? That word likeness means he wasn't sin, but he looked like everybody else. He came for the specific purpose of sin. To deal with sin. That sin might be condemned. But it's our sin. Romans 4.25 Just turn a couple pages to the back. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. He was delivered up. He died for our sin. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. 
He died for them. It was not His sin. Galatians 1.4 Who gave Himself for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 Who Himself bore our sins on His body on the tree. Isaiah 53.5 and 6 But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him and by His stripes. We are healed. So, God condemned sin. He did it by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He bore upon Himself our sin and died. He died. God did all this. God did all. Sometimes we think Jesus stepped in between God and us and is saving us from God. But the Bible here says that God did it. That God sent His Son. That it's the love of God that saved us from the wrath of God. For God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him, whosoever receives Him, puts their faith in Him, is then made righteous. The Holy Spirit moves into their life and transforms them into the image of His Son, works His work of holiness within us, putting within us godly desires, putting within us the power to follow the Lord, to obey what He has asked of us. God did all of this. God, the one and only creator of the entire universe, sent His Son, pre-existing, divine, and eternal Son, in human flesh, and poured out upon Him His wrath and condemnation of sin. That God... That's who God is. If that is not who your God is, then your God and mine are different. They're not the same. The Bible tells us that's what God did. So that He would be able, so that He could perfect us forever. The other thing we saw in verse 3 is the law couldn't do it, right? So why, why, why... When we are struggling in our performance, when we understand our position in Christ and we're struggling in our performance, do we think that we'll be able to overcome the struggle in our performance by the law? That would be like me being condemned for murdering someone and standing in court and saying, you know, I haven't never sped. In my life, I, I, I follow all the speed limit signs. I, I, I have never parked where I'm not supposed to park. Uh, I, I, if it says, do not fish, I don't fish there. Great. Yeah, who said that? Somebody didn't believe that last one. I don't know. If I'm already condemned by the law, it doesn't matter what else I've kept in the law. I'm condemned. You guys get what I'm saying? If you're guilty of breaking the law in one place, you're guilty of a broken law, period. The soul that sins shall die. That's the condemnation that God poured out on His Son. The law can't do that for me. Why do we constantly want to run back to the law? 
We want to run back to the law that somehow by, by keeping it, by following it, by doing it, the law could justify us or sanctify us. But if that was true, Jesus wouldn't need to die, would he? So the law cannot justify me and cannot sanctify me. It's not because of the fact that the law is evil. Is the law evil? What's the Bible say in Romans 7? No, the, 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 the law is, is righteous and good. What's evil? Me. I'm evil. You're evil. I don't care how good you think you are. We are all men and women broken before God that can only be made whole through a relationship with the God of the universe who loved us so much He didn't leave us in our lost state, but He sent His Son, poured out His wrath and condemnation for sin upon His Son, that by faith in His Son, we might be made righteous. And by faith in His Son, the Holy Spirit would come into our life and work His transforming work within me. It's the only way it could be done. The law couldn't do it, and the law couldn't do it. What did it say? The fourth thing, the fourth thing, the law couldn't do it because of the weakness of our flesh. It's our brokenness. The law is good. But once we're guilty, we're guilty. The law no longer can save us. It doesn't have the ability to pardon us. It doesn't have the ability to transform us. It just has the ability to declare our own guilt. The point of Romans 8.3 is that we recognize the work that is done walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, being in Christ Jesus, where there is now therefore no condemnation, where we experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is only accomplished when we trust Jesus, not the law. Remember I told you the Bible declares to us that we are either under grace or under the law. Everybody with me? You guys remember what that deal was all about? Because a lot of people, they jack that up. And they say, I can live any way I want because we're under grace, not under law. Well, that's not true at all. Being under grace means that I am trusting that Jesus Christ does it all to save me. Being under the law means that I'm trusting in my own ability to be good enough to appease God. So you're either under grace... Where Jesus Christ does it all or He doesn't do any of it. Or you're under the law where you do it all and Jesus does none of it. So if I'm under grace, I can't live any way I want. The Bible has already declared to us in Romans chapter 6, right? How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? I can't be satisfied with my seat on the top, on the top of that pile of manure. Remember, we talked about it last time. Don't, don't make me go back to all that. We don't sit in that no more. We don't. We've been given life. And that life is our ability to trust Jesus, not law-keeping. For what purpose? Look at verse 4. Here's the purpose of it all. The purpose of justification. The purpose of the declaration and the transformation that we see on the pages of Scriptures in verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Don't miss that. That means that in you and I personally... We can fulfill the law. That that's the purpose of 8.1, 8.2, 8.3. It's the purpose of justification, sanctification, the transformation, the fact that we need to trust in Jesus and not our own ability for law keeping. 
The why? Because, look what he said, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then he says, who do not walk, whose manner of life is not after the flesh, but is after the Spirit. Remember what he told us in in Romans 8 9. That if we belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. If the Holy Spirit is not in us, we don't belong to Christ. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, then we ought to see the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us. What is the righteous requirement of the law? So many laws were on the books, right? 619 in the Old Old Testament, 200 and some in the New Testament. We put all those together. It's hard to remember all of those things. How could you and I ever fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? It it takes me back to what Paul told us in, in Romans 5. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have... Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. How do we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? You love God and you love people according to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That's how. Think about what the scripture declares to us. We talk about these concepts. In Romans chapter 13. Just turn to the right real quick. Romans 13 verse 8 through 10. It says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Now, I crack up. I told you guys last time we read this. People always take Scripture where Scripture is making a point and it makes some kind of a, of a side note. For example, here's a, here's a, here's a great one. Uh, God is outside of time. And so a lot of time may pass for us, but it's not a lot of time for God. Bible tells us that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. What's the purpose of that scripture? So that we could go back and try to figure out how many thousands of years passed during creation? No. The point of the scripture is to say God's outside of time. A lot of time here is not such a lot of time there. A lot of time there is not such a lot of time here. God is outside. He's beyond. He transcends time. Well, what do we see here in Romans 8? Oh, no one every, no, oh, no one anything except, see, I took my glasses off for a minute. I cannot see nothing <clears throat> except to love one another. And a lot of people, and I don't think it's necessarily bad to be debt free, but they come to this verse and they say, see, the Bible says not to owe anyone anything. If that's your focus on this verse, you are put into the cart in front of the horse. It don't make no sense. The point of this verse is to love each other. Don't worry about what you owe here or you owe there. God says you owe love. 
to each other. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Look what the scripture goes on to tell us. For he who loves another has, what's it say? Fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what? The fulfillment of the law. So when we come to to Romans 8, 4, the reason we're justified, the reason we're sanctified, the reason the Holy Spirit is living inside of us that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled. That we would be able to love each other. That we would be able to love God. Who we've spent so much time in rebellion against. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 goes on to tell us a very similar thing. For you, brethren have been called to liberty, liberty, freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Be careful here. Because there will be people who will say, well that just means we're supposed to love the brethren. And we are supposed to love the brother. And last I checked, your brother is your neighbor. But you remember somebody came up to Jesus when he was talking about this and he said, Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him a story. And he picked the most hated man in the community. And he made the story about that man. And then he answered and said, so who was the neighbor to this man? The Samaritan was the neighbor. The religious, they weren't neighbors. They All they cared about was whether they were dirty or clean. The Samaritan got down in the mud with his broken brother and helped him out. That's love. That's how we fulfill the law. Well, don't get me wrong. I'll be more than happy to point out sin where sin is. But the fulfillment of the law is that we love each other. And that we love God. And loving each other doesn't mean I turn a blind eye and I say, since I love you, I'm going to let you commit suicide. No, I'm not. That's not loving. That's lazy. If I'm loving, I'll spend the time, what it takes. If someone is headed down a road of destruction because of the choices in their life, it is loving to say, that road ends and you're going to die. Don't die. Turn around and live. That's loving. Love fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. God has always wanted those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, might, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the requirement of the law. But listen, this fulfillment through love is not accomplished in your strength or my strength. Look what the Word tells us. Look what the Word is saying. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but... 
according to the Spirit. What's he saying? That our manner of life is, is in obedience to the Holy Spirit. How do we fulfill the righteous requirement of law? By love. How do we love? Through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That's how we do it. You can't just sit around and say, you know what, I'm just going to love people more. You can't do it. As soon as you say those words, the devil is going to send somebody who's so hard to love. <laughs> but in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are not walking, our manner of life is not after the flesh. And he's going to discuss that for us. We're going to, we're going to go into that because you got to understand what this is. Peripateo. What does it mean to walk? What, what is he telling us about this? What is he describing for us? Well, let's look. Because as we work from verses four through eight, we're going to see five really cool steps that I'm, I'm hopeful are going to show you what it is that God is working in us. What he is accomplishing in and through us by his spirit. First part that we see, if we look there at verse 4, the first part is that God's aim is that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Love fulfills the law. We see that in verse 4. In the second part of verse 4, we see that the, the way that it is done, it is done not by walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then we look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the third thing that he tells us is that our walk is predicated by a certain mindset. It's, it's about where we put our mind. What we are cherishing is where we put our mind. It's where we put our mind. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Let's listen to it. I, I found a, a, a great translation of it. For those who are and walk according to the flesh set their minds on, have a mindset to love the things of the flesh. But those who are and walk according to the Spirit have the mindset to love the things of the Spirit. So our walk is owing to our mindset to cherish either the flesh or the Spirit. If you're not a believer, you don't have any hope. There is no Spirit. If you are a believer, there is hope. There is a battle. There is a war taking place within you. And where I set my mind to love... If I'm setting my mind to love the things of this earth, if I'm setting my mind to love the things that, that want to pull me away from the Lord, if that's my mindset, then I will live according to the flesh. And I won't fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And I won't be loving. But if I set my mind to love the things of the Spirit, God's law, God's word, God's ways... Then I will walk according to the Spirit, and I will fulfill the law by loving God and others. That's what he's declaring to us in verse 5. So our walk is decided by what our mind is set to love. Then look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the fourth thing that we see is the reason the mindset of the Spirit produces life or a walk that fulfills the law is because it produces life. And the reason that the mindset of the flesh does not is because the mindset of the flesh can only produce death. To be carnally minded is death, right? Remember what it said in verse 2, in in Romans 8 verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death, right? So to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded, to love the things of earth is only leading to death. That's it. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To love the things of the Spirit. That's the fourth thing. So when we love the things of the Spirit, the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is shaping our mind and our walk because He's alive and He's in me. He's not just some random force out there. He's a he, not a it. He has a personality. He's the third person of the Godhead. And he lives inside of me. By his power and presence, he is shaping me. He imparts to me life, a love for the law, a delight for God, and the ability to see Jesus Christ as the most valuable thing in all the world. He brings life and peace. So what we see then is our mindset is the fruit and the form of the life of God's Spirit inside of us. The fruit and the form of God's Spirit inside of me is the ability to walk in the Spirit, to set my mind to love God. To love His law, to love His Son, to love the Spirit. My ability to do that is seen in those things. And then the last thing we're going to see in Romans 7 and 8. says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So without the Spirit, we are dead and hostile toward God and cannot submit to his to his law. The root of it all is a rebellion against God. That rebellion against God, the enmity against him. I cannot be subject to the law of God. I cannot please God because I am in the flesh. It is impossible to please God with a mindset that is loving his creation, but not loving the Creator. I can glorify Him by loving His creation as long as I see His creation as a gift from Him. But apart from that, I can't do that. So these five things, now I just want you to, we kind of went through them quick, I'm going to flip them around. And I'm just going to read them backwards. Hopefully this will help us kind of grasp and see. Let's look backwards from from 7 and 8 going up the other way. Just the subject of those verses. 
In reverse order, it is this. We had hostility toward God. The way we are by nature without the Spirit of God. But then we had life in the Spirit. The mind of the flesh brings death only, but the Spirit gives life. And the mindset of the Spirit is the fruit in the form of that life. The life of the Spirit creates and shapes the mindset of the Spirit. Then we saw the spiritual mindset. Since this is the fruit in the form of the spiritual life, this is the way God designed for us to walk, which leads us to a new walk according to the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this mindset, we walk that way. We live that way. And that brings us back to the beginning and we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. We move from hostility to life to a spiritual mindset, to a new walk in the Spirit, to the fulfillment of the law, which is to love God and love people. And all that is made possible by the empowerment, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... The Spirit is in you. And if the Spirit is in you, that should lead to a spiritual life, which should lead to a spiritual mindset, which should lead to a new walk, which should lead to the fulfillment of the righteous requirement of the law. That's what he's laying out for us in Romans 8, 1 through 8. But if you do not have the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If we have the Spirit, then we see in Romans 8, justification to sanctification, declaration to transformation, brings us to the fact that we need to trust Jesus and not our law keeping, and shows to us how that all works. That we're able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the, of the law. Because we walk according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit because we have a new mindset to love the things of the Spirit. We love the things of the Spirit because we have the Spirit that gives life living inside of us. When at one time we were hostile toward God, we were in rebellion against God, but we put our faith in Christ. He justified us. He sanctified us. His Spirit is in us to translate us or to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. To move us from a place where we are at loss to a place where we have victory. The Holy Spirit is the key to move us from Romans chapter 7 and the I'm not doing what I should to the victory of Romans chapter 8. That there is no condemnation and by verse 39, no separation. And it's all guaranteed and secured for you and I by the Holy Spirit within us. Amen? Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you, Father, as we as we just want to delve in, we want to be able to grasp, we want to be able to hold on to and understand. The things that your word is declaring to us. and Lord, we have got to begin to realize that the transformation of a life 
is wrought by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit which brings life. Which begins to plant within me the ability to set my mind to love the things of God. Which leads to a new walk that is loving God by the, by the way I live my life. Which leads to the fulfillment of the law which is to love God and to love people. God, your word declares that the key to all of this is the Holy Spirit. It's not me. If it depends on me, I will fail. If it depends on you, you never fail. So I come to you, Lord. I come to you by faith. I receive, I believe, I accept that you are the most valuable thing in all the universe. By faith, Lord, you, you make me right. And you implant within me your spirit which breathes life into me. Which changes the way my mind works. Which helps me to walk the way you call me to walk. Which fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. So I am able to love God and love people. You do it all. You do it all so I can know that I am secure in my relationship with Christ. The only key is I must be in Christ Jesus. It begins with faith. With the faith that reaches out with both hands to lay a hold of the only Savior who can save. The only name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus. No one comes to the Father. Except through me. Receiving by faith. Not because I'm a good person or I've done good things before. I recognize my broken state. That I am a sinner. That I am damaged. That I struggle with being who I'm supposed to be. But by faith in Christ. And the, and the Holy Spirit living within me. I am not only declared to be righteous, but I am being transformed into His image. God, you have done it all. It is possible to deceive myself that Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Workers of iniquity, whose mindset was set to the things of the flesh, which brings death, who had no faith in the salvation wrought through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but rather trusted in their law-keeping We are justified by faith in Christ alone. And through that justification, your spirit works and you sanctify us by transforming. My mind is renewed by your spirit. And I love you 
people. And I want to tell them about who I love. God, I pray that you would do a work in us so we would recognize the amazing value, the greatest treasure on all the earth that is seen in Jesus Christ. And we would stop playing games with church and, and, and just trying to mark a card or punch the card and say, I did this, I did this, I did this. Because we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man would boast. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives. And that we would live the victory that you have won for us. That we would recognize our need. That your spirit would move in a mighty way in our life. That our mindset would change. Because you are on the throne, not sin. You are enthroned in our hearts. God, I pray you be glorified and magnified in this place. For we desire you to be honored above all others. And if there be anyone in here today who is not sure, doesn't know of his or her relationship with you, then I pray, God, that they would come and ask, for I will be here. God, I pray you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.